Chip the glasses, crack the plates. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. My name is Nathan Stone, and I will be your host today. This episode is a short history of the halflings of Warhammer Fantasy. We're going to be looking at their origins in first edition and following them all the way till their final entry in sixth edition. These wonderful little creatures have been roaming around the old world since there was an old world to roam around, and they went through some interesting changes. Before we get to that, today I've got some news and some hobby, and we're going to start with the news because it's a little bit more meaty. I have very unexpectedly been offered a job. And that's kind of cool. It wasn't something that I really had planned. I hadn't been looking for work because I was going back to school. But I was actually browsing Facebook and a local game store who just happens to be right beside the campus that I'm going to be attending was looking for a part-time employee and specifically looking for a sports fan as they are getting into selling sports cards, as well as looking for someone who was familiar with tabletop gaming and all of the various things that you would expect at a game store. And this was basically a job that was written for me, and I applied for it just out of a sense of, well, if they're going to write this for me, I might as well apply for it. And uh, I ended up getting that job, so... What's fun about that is that I'll be able to make a few extra dollars as I'm going back to school, and that's been really nice since I haven't been able to make a whole lot of money in the last two years, and it is right beside the school with flexible hours, so hopefully it won't interfere with my studies, but give me something interesting and new to do. There is, of course, a downside to that, and that downside is that my time is not infinite. I really wish it was. I had already been thinking about what to do with this silly little show when I was going back to school, how I was going to schedule it, and I've come to the conclusion now that something has got to give, unfortunately. I'm just not going to have the time. I'm already kind of struggling this summer with doing stuff with family, doing stuff outside with friends, all good things, but of course, all things that take up time. So I've decided that I'm going to step back this show to once every two weeks instead of every week. And that's just because this show does take up a lot of my spare time. I really enjoy doing it. I love doing the research for these episodes. I love recording them and even enjoy editing them. It's a big part of the reason why I'm going back to school to do what I will be doing, which is a uh, radio-television journalism program, where I'm going to hopefully learn to do this kind of thing on a more professional level. But it's just not feasible, unfortunately, for me to keep doing this once a week. So this will be the last of the weekly episodes, I believe. <laughs> I may still get one or two more out on a weekly basis before we go full on once every two weeks. 
there's likely going to be more episodes with Scott and GJ or some combination thereof. And that's because those episodes are a little bit easier on me in terms of editing. And it's just fun. I get to hang out with my friends and talk shop. These episodes that I have done on my own, the retrospectives, are also lots of fun, but a little bit more labor-intensive. So unfortunately, a little bit of bad news there, but the show will go on. If you're on the Patreon, nothing is going to change for you there. You're still going to get the bonus episode every month. I actually have this month's bonus episode recorded, and I'm just trying to get it edited, so that should be up fairly soon for you guys as well. Big thank you to our patrons. It's really helped me out keeping this show going and paying for the hosting of this show. And as always, your support is just the best. It always makes me feel good. It's just wonderful. So thank you for that. The other piece of news that I have to share is a little bit nicer. It is that I have a fresh video out on the YouTube channel. This is the first of what I'm hoping might be a Let's Play series on Rights of War. This is the 1999 Warhammer 40k video game based around the Eldar. It's a top-down turn-based strategy game, and I'm actually having way more fun with it than I thought. I never liked it as a kid. I wanted to go back to it just to see if it was as bad as I remembered, but it turns out that I think it was me. I think I was the problem. I don't think I got it as a kid, and now with a little bit more age, well, a lot more age, and a lot more experience with strategy games, I'm actually finding it pretty fun. So if you'd like to check that out, that is on the War Games Orchard YouTube channel. In terms of hobby, I haven't gotten around to doing a whole lot. See the last part about being busy, but I have painted up a nice little Dire Avenger kind of a test model for my squad. I've got six of them, and this is for my second edition Eldar. I really love the fact that the Aspect Warriors are different from the normal color scheme of an Eldar army. I'm kind of painting this army by the book, so I want it to look very similar to the Biotan Eldar that you would have seen in the second edition Codex. So that means I'm going with all of the classic colors. I've got the beautiful blue for the Dire Avengers, and I'm really having fun with that. These Eldar models are just so characterful. They're just a joy once you've painted them. They're not always a joy to paint, but once you get it done, you're just like, oh man, this is so nice. I love the colorfulness of that army throughout the eras, but especially in the second edition era, where the studio was really just make these guys bright and colorful and fun. So I'll probably put that guy, as well as I guess the Eldar that I have been working on so far, up on the Orchard Facebook page. So if you'd like to see them, they should be up in the next day or two. And that's going to do it for news and hobby. Today, we're going to look at the history of the halflings. They are a weird <laughs> little species that kind of always seems to find an interesting niche in Warhammer Fantasy, and they get shunted around a lot, as we'll see. We're going to start things off in 1st edition, the Forces of Fantasy book. This book had a ton of species and factions that just wouldn't go anywhere, really. A lot of goblins that 
wouldn't see the light of day past this era. You had certain things like gnomes that would really only last from first to second. And this game was in a very proto state. We've got a lot more influences from Lord of the Rings, which I know sounds hard since Warhammer Fantasy was just so full of Lord of the Rings references. But in this early era, what you're seeing is basically Tolkien's work and Games Workshop starting to massage it into their own thing. The first little history blurb we get for Halflings is very much what you would expect. Halflings are an overfed and peaceful folk, not much given to military pursuits. They regard most wars and forms of organized martial display as a waste of good feeding time. Nevertheless, they are determined and even stubborn race, and will defend their homes country, and livelihoods with considerable vigor if necessary. Their main enemies have always been marauding goblin bands, who wander into their lands occasionally. Apart from that, halflings tend to avoid getting involved in foreign squabbles. So these halflings would be just as well at home in the Shire as in the Moot. The illustration we get is very much a Frodo-looking guy with his hairy feet pointing a little dagger. Now, there was... Four main types of halfling that you could take in first edition. There was the Watchmen, the March Wardens, the Militia, and the Rider. They were statistically equivalent to each other. Their stat profiles are exactly the same, except for the Rider, who of course rides a pony, so his movement value is a little bit better. But your basic halfling of the era is movement 3, weapon skill 3, ballistic skill 4, strength 1, toughness A, wounds 1, Initiative 5, 1 attack. The Watchman was armed with a sword, and the March Wardens were armed with daggers. There was some option. The militia could only take improvised weapons, such as scythes, farm, and kitchen utensils, or knives. Alternatively, they could have bows and slings. The Watchman and the March Wardens could carry normal weapons, as well as missile weapons, so they could be sort of actual soldiers, and the halfling riders, who had a movement value of six and a half because ponies aren't as quick as horses, they could also have normal weapons. But what was fun about them is that the halflings were not natural horsemen. For this reason, halfling cavalry received no charge bonus and suffer a minus one to hit penalty. So not fantastic cavalrymen. You could have 15 max of the riders in your army and 25 max of the watchmen. They did have a racial-wide special rule. Halflings are magically resistance with an average willpower of 10. So it was hard to cast spells on them. They could have heroes, but they did not have champions, which was an interesting distinction. Moving on to second edition, Halflings can be found in Ravening Hordes, but not as an army themselves, only as an allied contingent. Now, when you're writing a news article or something with hard facts, the best thing to do, so I remember from my writing classes in high school and university, is that your lead should be the most important information. And why this is relevant is because the very first thing that we learned about halflings in 2nd edition in their allied contingent section is that 
halflings are subject to alcoholism. That is the very first piece of information that we are told, and I found that very, very funny. It also goes on to tell us that halfling cooks are similar to standard bearers. The cook fights as an ordinary trooper, but his presence boosts the regiment's morale to such an extent that its leadership is increased by one. Halfling cooks are prized by all races. They may be captured in exactly the same way as standard bearers. I can imagine a horde of goblins carrying off one of the halfling cooks and forcing them to cook for him. I think that's really humorous. The halflings in 2nd edition have quite a roster. They have, of course, a basic profile. They have champions now. They have minor heroes, major heroes, wizards of levels 1 and 2. The basic halfling profile is similar to the 1st edition profile, but of course, there was a big shift in profiles between 1st and 2nd edition, so a lot of things have changed, but would play in roughly the same way as they played in 1st edition. In 1st edition, we saw that they had the strength of 1, the toughness of A. Toughness of A was basically toughness 1, so they were strength 1, toughness 1. However, the norm was strength 2, toughness B in 2nd edition, so strength 2, toughness 2 would have been the equivalent to the later era's Strength 3, Toughness 3 as kind of the baseline. So even though they were Strength 1, Toughness 1, that wasn't incredibly, terribly, unplayably weak, as it would be in later eras. But this basic profile we're about to read here is not going to change a whole lot over the next five editions. It is Movement 3, Weapon Skill 2, Ballistic Skill 4, Strength 2, Toughness 2, 1 Wound, Initiative 5, 1 Attack, Leadership 6, Intelligence 7, Cool 7, and Willpower 8. What I find interesting about this profile is that we get the clear preference for ranged combat with that Ballistic Skill of 4, and at an Initiative 5 is a tremendously good initiative I tend to think this is still that Tolkien influence on Games Workshop here. Because if you think of the classic Hobbit book, the fact that Bilbo Baggins gets employed as a burglar, he is quick, good at hiding, and thinks fast. I really like that Initiative 5. I think that is a direct correlation from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings that they put in there, and that was going to last for quite some time. The champion for the halflings, is, of course, a similar profile. He gets a point of weapon skill to 3, ballistic skill to 5, and strength to 3. He also gains a point of initiative to 6. When we get the minor hero, he has gotten another point of weapon skill and another point of ballistic skill to 4 and 6, respectively. He's actually gained a point of toughness as well, so he's strength 3, tough 3. An extra wound to 2, initiative to 7, and attacks to 2. His leadership is also 7, intelligence 8, cool 7, and willpower 9, so plus 1 across the board there. The major hero continues that trend, ups his weapon skill and ballistic skill again, his wounds and attacks go to 3, his initiative goes to 8, and all of his leadership, intelligence, cool, and willpower gets that bump up by 1 as well. The first level wizard is basically a halfling plus 1, he gets the extra initiative, but not much else. The wizard level 2 is roughly equivalent to the minor hero, except he doesn't gain the weapon skill and ballistic skill bumps. So an interesting roster 
for halflings in second edition. As far as building your halfling allied contingent went, you had some options for the rank and file. You had to take a minimum of 10 warriors, but you could take up to 50, and they were three and three quarters points each. Yeah, I hope you like adding fractions, because Old Hammer, especially where halflings concerned, would love you to do some fractional addition. Archers, you had to take 20, but could take up to 50, and they were also three and three quarters points. Foragers, who were basically archers, but you were limited to 15 of them, also three and three quarter points. What made them special is you could replace their short bows with blunderbusses for three quarters points per model. God, this is bringing me back to middle school fractions. Ugh, gross. Lastly, you could take zero to 60 skirmishers. And what you would do with this is you could actually choose any of the other regiments and make them skirmishers, which is kind of cool. It would give them some additional options and some additional limitations. As far as heroes go, you could take up to three level one magicians for 40 points each and up to one level two magician for 105 points. Take up to four champions for five and a half points, two minor heroes for 34 points, and one major hero for 81 points. These halflings, I think, would have made a very cool and thematic allied force for any human or maybe dwarven army. I really like these guys a lot. And some interesting choices as well. You could do some really interesting stuff converting up a halfling magician and halfling champions. This list has a lot more character than the first edition list did. When we get into third edition, things have gotten a little bit more streamlined. Halflings are again an ally contingent. But we get a little bit more lore here. They're starting to take on a more recognizable shape. Halflings are often said to be peace-loving folk, more concerned with their crops and livestock than military matters. The main settlements of the halflings lie in the heart of the empire in an area known as the Moot. This is defended from intruders by the halfling militia, which is sometimes called to fight alongside the imperial army. Halflings are also much valued as baggage guards because they will fight tenaciously to prevent the provisions falling into enemy hands. Now, we're seeing that the more modern fluff of the halflings are starting to be developed, their relationship with the empire, their lands of the moot, but this list is actually a little bit more limited than the second edition list. We don't get some of those fun choices like the foragers with blunderbusses. This is a very basic setup. So we must take a halfling contingent commander. He is a level 20 hero, so not quite maximum level. And for a halfling, he is not too bad. He is movement 3, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 5, strength 3, toughness 3, 4 wounds, Initiative 8, 4 attacks, Leadership 9, Intelligence 7, Cool 7, and Willpower 9. He is armed with a hand weapon, a light armor, and a shield, and he has the most anemic options I have ever seen for a character in this game. He can take a pony for 3 points, and a spear for 1 point. You might have noticed that we lost our halfling cavalry after 1st edition, and in this era, this is the only mounted halfling that we'll see. 
He is still riding a pony, but in this case, the pony is a horse. It is movement 8 and has horse stats. It is just called a pony for lore reasons. Halfling commanders are often respected civilian dignitaries or members of noble families elected as military leaders in times of war. Next up, we have the Halfling Militia. And one of the wonderful things about the 3rd edition Warhammer Armies book is that each of the entries comes with a fun little illustration of the unit. The Halfling one is pretty good. You have a plump little halfling with a wash pot on his head, carrying a tiny spear, and looking pretty confident, honestly. I, I like him. He's still got the barefoot hobbit look with the prerequisite foot hair. So the halfling's stats are unchanged from 2nd edition. Still movement 3, weapon skill 2, ballistic skill 4, strength 2, tough 2, 1 wound, initiative 5, 1 attack, leadership 6, intelligence 7, Cool 6 and Willpower 8. This particular regiment can be led by a level 10 halfling hero who has weapon skill 4, ballistic skill 5, strength 3, tough 3, 2 wounds, initiative 6, 3 attacks, leadership 7, and the same intelligence, cool, and willpower as the base halfling. You can have from 10 to 30 of these little guys. They are 3.5 points per model. They are armed with a hand weapon and nothing else. But they do have some options. So if you wanted that level 10 hero, you can get him for 39 points. They can have shields for half a point per model. Light armor for one point. Spears for half a point. Bows for one. And slings for half a point. So you can actually do a lot of different things with this unit. You probably want to outfit them for ranged combat. Because, well, ballistic skill 4 is a lot better than weapon skill 2. And with movement 3... They don't really want to be moving around the battlefield much, and in fact, they really can't. One thing that is completely unique to 3rd edition is the Ally Standard Bearer. So this was a Halfling Standard Bearer. This is another illustration that is just tremendous. This Halfling looks like he is ready for business. He has a very, very cool hat on, a sweet cape. He is flying his flag, and he looks like he is all business. He is a level 5 hero, so about what we would see for a halfling champion of the later era. He has that point of weapon skill and that point of ballistic skill, and a point of strength, and initiative, and a bonus attack, but he is only one wound. He is 73 points. He's got a bit of that hero hammer standard bearer issue that would become prevalent in 4th and 5th edition. You could take a battle standard bearer, but they were so easy to kill that it really wasn't worth your points most of the time. He is armed with a hand weapon and light armor. He has only one option, and that is to give your standard a magic attribute and make it into a magic standard. That would cost you 100 points. So you could end up spending 173 points on a one-wound halfling. I don't play 3rd edition, but I don't think I would recommend this. Because that sounds insane. Toughness 2, 1 wound, 173 points. Lastly, we have the Halfling Scouts. You can take up to 20 Halfling Scouts. These guys are expensive. They are 9.5 points per model. They are armed with a bow and a hand weapon. And any unit may have a leader who was a level 5 hero. So the exact same stats as our standard bearer. 
What made these guys a little bit more special is the fact that they were scouts, they could skirmish. Otherwise, they are bog-standard halflings, but the bow cost is included in their overall cost. So, you know, maybe not too, too bad. Although 9.5 points is a lot of points for anything that is a halfling. (laughs) And that is it for the halfling ally contingent. That is also it for the halfling military forces. From now on, they're just going to be units in other armies. And that's not such a bad thing. They get much more worked into the Empire book of the Hero Hammer era. And I think they found a pretty nice little home there. Are they good? Uh, Not really, no. But they are going to get a little bit of a boost in 4th edition where it matters the most. So let's move on to Warhammer Armies The Empire, 4th edition. This book would cover the Empire in 4th and 5th edition as they never got a 5th edition book, but all of the books of the era were compatible with each other. The 4th edition books did tend to be on the weaker side. What I love about the Empire in 4th edition was that it included a lot of non-human choices. And why I like that was it made the Empire a little bit more cosmopolitan, a little bit more interesting. It was a nation of men primarily, but it also included dwarves and halflings and ogres. And I really liked that. I always find a lot of pleasure in seeing mixed armies on the table like that. I think visually it's really, really nice. But this is a special book. Quite a a legendary one, I think, for a lot of Empire players. It included incredible things like the war wagon, the introduction of the steam tank. And for the halflings, we got two entries. We got our basic halflings, and we got our hot pot. The hot pot was a war machine. It was a stone thrower in the most basic sense. What it was, in fact, was a giant slingshot where a halfling chef would hurl cauldrons of boiling soup onto the enemy. And this is one of my absolute favorite war machines of all time in Warhammer. It is tremendously silly. The model for it was always just the goofiest thing, but it actually wasn't all that bad. War machines... Especially stone throwers didn't have a great time in the Hero Hammer era. They were tragically inaccurate and just very hard to use. There was a lot of really hard counters to war machines in this era. And most opponents, especially if they knew they were going up against the Empire, would prepare something to take out your war machines. But where the Halfling Hot Pot excels is that it's tiny. Just teeny tiny. Of course, it's three halflings and a slingshot. As far as war machines go, this thing is pretty easy to put in a hard-to-get-to place where it might be a little bit safer. It's still not the greatest thing in the world, but we'll cover it here and you can make up your mind and tell me whether you think you would take this thing. It's also ludicrously cheap. Before we get on to the units, though, let's look at the halflings lore in this book. We have a nice short little description of the halflings of the Empire. 
The halflings have lived in rural areas of the Empire for as long as anyone can remember, but it was not until the year 1010 that they were granted the lands around the Upper Aver as their permanent home. This land is known as the Moot, and, like all the lands of the Empire, it provides troops for the Emperor's army. Halflings are not especially warlike by nature, and their troopers are for the most part country watchmen, game wardens, and foresters. Even so, they are willing fighters and very able bowmen. Their natural ability to infiltrate woods and move quickly through dense undergrowth means that they can accomplish tasks which would be impossible to men. It should be noted on this page we get an illustration of a halfling in full empire regalia. So the empire style uniform with the fun hat with the big feather on it. I wish they had made models like this. He just he's so fancy. But of course, he's still not wearing shoes and still has the hobbit fuzzy feet. They just couldn't get away from that aesthetic, and I can see why they maybe didn't want to as well. Looking at the basic halfling unit here, we're going to notice one very important change. And I'm not going to make you wait for it because it's the very first thing on the profile. Halflings go to movement 4. They are still weapon skill 2, ballistic skill 4, strength 2, toughness 2, 1 wound, initiative 5, one attack, and leadership eight. So their base leadership has bumped up a little bit, but that movement of four gives them way more options. Movement of three is devastating. Just ask any dwarf player. And in this era, movement counts for a lot. I mean, it always does in Warhammer Fantasy, but especially in the Hero Hammer era, you want to be able to get around. And movement four is exponentially better than movement three. As far as options go, these halflings can be equipped with bows at an additional cost of one point per model, or spears at an additional cost of half point per model. They can be given light armor at one point per model, and any regiments may be equipped with shields at the cost of one half point per model. So bows take them to four and a half points, which is still pretty good. And one thing that I didn't realize until I was doing research for this episode was that they didn't have short bows. They have bows, regular bows. And it just makes me laugh because I think of skinks of the arrow with their short bows. And a skink is basically the size of a halfling, maybe a little bit taller. And it's just so funny to me that the halflings got the full-sized bows and the skinks got the short bows. Although skinks, I really shouldn't complain because they're tremendously good. Now let's take a little look at the other halfling unit, the Hot Pot. We talked about a little bit here, but it is worthwhile discussing in a little bit more detail. If you'd like to see the full history of the halfling Hot Pot, check out our YouTube channel. I did a Lost Units video on the halfling Hot Pot. It is a fun one. So the Halfling Hotpot is a stone thrower at heart, as I mentioned. It has a maximum range of 36 inches, so far less than even a small stone thrower of the era. It is a strength 5 hit for a direct hit, so the model directly under the template. Strength 3 for the rest. It only does one wound, but does ignore armor saves. One of the fun things you could do with a Halfling Hotpot is put it into some kind of heavily armored infantry or cavalry and have it pretty much immediately earn back its points. The thing with the hot pot is if you manage to get lucky and target a unit of Chaos Knights, if you kill one of them, it has more than made back its points. So 
As far as fun little distractions go, I have a lot of time for the hot pot. The hot pot, bizarrely enough, is treated like any other war machine in that it is toughness 7 and 3 wounds. I will remind you that this is a big slingshot that they stuck in the ground. Somehow just as tough as a chariot, just as tough as a cannon. But sure, I think they wanted to make things easy and have all your war machines have the same profile. It's just particularly silly in this instant. The hot pot has a rather simple misfire chart. On a 1 to 2, it is destroyed. The catapult breaks, throwing boiling hot pot goop everywhere. The crew are slain and the hot pot is destroyed. What an awful way to die. Just burned to death by boiling soup. It's like molten soup. How hot could they get this? 3 to 4 was a spill, and it made it so that you could not fire this turn or next turn. And 5 to 6 was may not shoot, which was just a minor inconvenience. They say, perhaps a crewman stumbles. It could be the gloop isn't hot enough yet. Maybe there isn't enough pepper in it for the cook's liking. So, this unit was never taken seriously. Super fun, and I'm really glad it was added. I would have loved to have seen this come about a little bit earlier, maybe in the 3rd edition era, so it could have been part of the allied contingent. There is one more halfling unit in the Hero Hammer era, and it wouldn't come around until almost the very end of 5th edition, and that is Lumpen Croup's Fightin' Cocks, a regiment of renown, mercenaries for hire, and some really fun models. These guys were halfling rangers. Lumpen Croup was a wonderful model, had a sword, well, a dagger for anyone else, but a sword for a halfling, had, I think, a drumstick in his other hand, and was commanding his fighting cocks. They were a archer regiment, and they were tremendously cool. Those models now go for an insane cost on the secondary market if you've ever tried to pick them up. I've searched them a few times, but I've basically given up on ever getting my hands on Lumpen Croup and his fighting cocks. We're not actually going to visit them on this episode. I have an upcoming episode for you guys on the Regiments of Renown, where we're going to cover Lumpenkroop and his Fightin' Cocks in detail, but I just wanted you to know that they're there, and the Fightin' Cocks have the same basic profile as a regular halfling. I think the most important takeaway from this era is that this was the era in which halflings got that movement for, which is just so important. Now we're going to move on to the last era of the Halflings. This is 6th edition. Halflings, unfortunately, would get booted out of the Empire book. Despite having arguably a much better argument for staying in that book than either the Imperial Dwarves or the Ogres, the Halflings live in kind of the heartland of the Empire, a real breadbasket region, and seeing them removed from the Empire kind of stung a little bit. But they did find a home, they weren't out of work for too long, and their final destination was in the Dogs of War Army. Now, the Dogs of War Army, there was no book for them in 6th edition, like in 5th. The 5th edition Dogs of War book is a really strange one, because it's not really a functional army book. You can make an army out of these regiments, but they're all just the regiments of renown. They're all the special units. There are no real 
generic units besides a generic commander and I believe a wizard. Everything else tends to be named characters, named units. And in 6th edition, Alessio Cavator set pen to paper to fix that. And he did with the Dogs of War supplement that was released in a white dwarf. And what this allowed you to do was make a truly generic Dogs of War army. You could take things like pikemen, crossbowmen, duelists, all of those units that had just been regiments of renown. So instead of the Lost Legion, you were taking generic pikemen. Instead of Vespero's Vendetta, you were taking normal duelists. And this book is really cool. A lot of people really took to this to kind of make their own insert army in the old world, right? You could use historical models. You could make an army from Araby, from Tali or Estalia, uh, Norris, you know, where all of those little gaps in the Warhammer world that we just never got models for, this army came in and, and kind of gave you a catch-all. And it's really neat to see what people did as they just went crazy with them. There are some really interesting units in here, including ogres, dwarfs, and halflings. So all of the units that were booted out of the Empire book when they switched it to simply being a faction of men. And here we'll find both our halflings and our halfling hot pot. Now, the halflings have gotten a bit of a price bump, but most things did in the transition from Hero Hammer to 6th edition. And what I'm talking about specifically is regiments. The halflings got quite a price bump going into 6th edition. They are up to 6 points per model. However, their profile stays exactly the same as we saw in 4th edition. Their unit size is 10+. They're armed with a hand weapon and a bow. And they may swap their bows for spears, light armor, and shields. So those options are free, by the way. Which goes away to explaining why they got that price increase. It's still more expensive than their Hero Hammer equivalents, but it's not too bad. Of course, you're probably just going to give them bows, because again, halflings are not very good at being a combat unit. One of the interesting things is that they are a 0 to 1 special choice. So, no building your army with big blocks of halflings, unfortunately. Ogres and dwarves escape this 0 to 1 but halflings do not. The other unit from the Empire book, the wonderful halfling hot pot, does make its appearance here as well. It stays at 50 points per model, which is tremendous, and is actually a little bit maybe better than its 4th edition counterpart. Now, one of the places it does lose out is in the profile of the War Machine itself. Someone at Games Workshop, well, I guess Alessio Cavator, since he was writing this book, realized that Toughness 7 with 3 wounds was ridiculous for a slingshot stuck in the ground, so it is now Toughness 4 with 2 wounds, meaning pretty much any amount of missile fire is going to either kill the crew or kill the hot pot itself. Its special rules have been condensed quite a bit. You treat the hot pot as a stone thrower with the following changes. The hot pot has a maximum range of 36 inches, 
hits a resolve at strength 3 with no armor saving throw allowed. The model under the hole of the template suffers a strength 6 hit with no armor save allowed, which causes d3 wounds. So if you're underneath the center of the template, you actually get hit a lot harder than in 4th ed. From strength 5 to strength 6 now, and d3 wounds instead of 1 wound. Again, for 50 points, I love this thing. It takes up no space on the battlefield. And in 6th edition, it's actually harder to deal with than it was in 4th and 5th. Part 2 of this book details the regiments of Renowned. And of course, we get Lumpenkroop here. Lumpenkroop and his fighting cocks were around in 5th and 6th, and then not so much later editions. People did use these regiments of the Renowned and this list as late as 8th edition. It was certainly at a disadvantage with the power creep that was introduced into the game, but if you love something, you, you make it work. And people did that with this, and it was great to see halflings got kind of a permanent home eventually. I, I do understand that halflings were a real holdover from the early days of Warhammer Fantasy. They were one of Tolkien's additions to the game that got thrown in because they were starting with Lord of the Rings and that classic fantasy world as a beginning to make the old world. But the halflings of Warhammer Fantasy became their own thing in the lore, specifically in the later lore. And you don't get a lot of attention paid to them in the Warhammer Army books because either they're not there after about 4th edition or they are kind of a sideshow, right? Even in Old Hammer, they were allied contingents. It was really only that first edition where they got the same type of entry that anyone else did. But one place where halflings really shine is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. If you get the chance, check out the newest 4th edition version of the game, or even some of the older editions, and it goes into a lot more detail about halfling culture and how halflings operate, and an interesting twist that Games Workshop put on the classic Hobbit slash halfling was that halflings in Warhammer Fantasy are larcenous. <laughs> they will steal anything that isn't nailed down. They're a little bit like goblins in that respect, and they can't really help themselves. They're, they're kind of kleptomaniacs. But what it's done, and especially you hear about it in Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, where you get an idea of what the various races think about each other, is it's really made halflings kind of insufferable to a lot of people. They're not trusted. They're looked at as these gluttonous little thieves. And to be fair, that is pretty much what they are in, in Warhammer Fantasy. Warhammer Fantasy, especially after about that 6th edition going into the 2000s, gave halflings kind of a darker feel to them. They weren't just the joyful little fat hobbits of the moot. They were these kind of jerks, honestly. You know, they're greedy, they're gluttonous, they're, they'll take things that aren't theirs whenever they can. They like shiny things. They're really, uh, really not all that pleasant. But they are tolerated because they grow a lot of the food that the Empire eats. And halfling chefs are basically the, the best chefs in the old world. They got to an interesting place with halflings in the lore and in the game. Before we leave today, 
I want to share with you a short story. We're going to go and read from the fourth edition Empire book. This is the story of the Halfling Hot Pot. How it came to be. Gambo Heartstock took his iron ladle and stirred the contents of his bubbling cauldron thoughtfully. The two assistant cooks, Flabbag and Dill, and Frito Flatfoot, savored the delicious spicy smell and exchanged knowing glances. This was going to be a meal to remember. It would, in fact, be the first hot meal the halflings had tasted in three weeks, ever since they said farewell to their kinfolk in the moot and marched away to join the Emperor's army. Since then, it had gone very badly for the small halfling regiment. Half their supplies had been lost crossing the river, including all the beer and tobacco. Continuous rain had made it impossible to keep a fire burning. The whole regiment had been cut to emergency rations of a mere three meals a day, and those cold and rain-soaked, eaten in miserable silence. Now, as the army camped for the night in the shadow of the World's Edge Mountains, Gambo Hartstock, chief cook, prepared a feast to restore the spirits of the famished halflings. That morning he had bought a whole barrel of gunpowder pepper from one of the human merchants. The barrel stood beside the cauldron. A good measure of its fiery contents had already disappeared into the seething pot, together with some peppermint herbs, fire balm, and certain other ingredients gathered by Gambo early that morning. A good cook has his secrets, and Gambo had more than most. Ah, yes, my lad. Gambo explained to Flabagan, The Emperor knows a fine hot pot when he smells it, but this here hot pot, he winked knowingly, this is too rich for your humans, even for an Emperor. Flabagan smiled weakly as his master fussed proudly over his stew. The delicious smell was twisting his simple mind into knots of ravening hunger. What was old Gambo on about? He was hungry. They were all hungry. Was it time to eat yet? Yup, Flabby. Gambo continued proudly, If one of those human soldiers were to get as much as a good whiff of this hot pot of mine, well, like as not, he'd be knocked clean off his feet. And should he, by some act of unforgivable negligence on our part, actually eat some, well, I for one wouldn't like to be held responsible. Gambo ladled another heap of pepper into the cauldron and added a couple of chilies and more garlic for good measure. Suddenly a loud horn blast pierced the air, a thin strident note pregnant with urgency. Gambo was so taken aback he dropped his ladle, sending gobbets of fizzing stew flying everywhere. What's this? he gasped breathlessly. It's not lunchtime yet, is it? But it was already obvious that the horn blast had come from elsewhere entirely. Not from the halfling camp, or even from the human regiments of the Empire Army, but from fierce goblin wolf riders who were hacking and biting at will as halflings ran hither and thither in blind panic. Utterly absorbed with their cooking, none of the halflings had noticed the wolf riders as they sprung from the mountain valley, neatly enveloping the camp and driving a wedge between them and the rest of the emperor's army. It was an ambush. Worst of all, it was an ambush before lunch. Those pitiless goblin scum! sobbed Gambo as the wolf rider bounded towards him, brandishing a spear and grinning broadly in anticipation of an easy kill. Picking up a hefty cleaver, he chopped the green-skinned creature clean in half, as easily as if it had been a stick of celery. Green blood spurted wildly into the air, much of it landing into the stew pot where it fizzled and crackled like little gunshots. Ruined! 
bawled Gambo uncontrollably. My hot pot, all the mint and garlic, half the pepper, all gone. He cleaved the head from another goblin and reached into his apron for a bottle of Mootland malt. It was empty. Ah! He screamed as the horror of his predicament overwhelmed him. And then something snapped inside the little cook. His eyes glazed with grim courage, uncharacteristic of his kind. His broad hands tightened their grip around the cleaver. Flabagon, Frito, he said. It's time for the ultimate sacrifice. Fetch that rope and bring the rest of the pepper. Within moments, the bewildered assistant cooks had tied the ropes to the cauldron and suspended the boiling mass over a forked spit rest. It might have been a scene of slaughter that brought tears to Frito's eyes as goblins and wolves marauded through the camp, slaying the fleeing halflings like startled rabbits. But maybe it was all those onions. That's right, my lads, yelled Gambo, raving his cleaver menacingly in the direction of another wolf rider. Now pull that rope back as hard as you can. The wolf riders who had learned that Gambo's cleaver was best avoided were gathering ready to carry their assault into the Empire camp. Sure of his victory, the goblin king himself was hurrying to lead the charge in his battle chariot. Fresh greenskins were already forming up for the attack, spear-wielding infantry and archers among them, and towards the rear, two huge trolls shambled slowly through a sea of frolicking snotlings. The assistant cooks heaved on the rope, and the cookpot lurched slowly backwards. The wooden spit stand began to bend and creak. The halflings groaned and took the strain. Just another couple of feet, cried Gambo as he nimbly moved aside and poised his cleaver ready to chop through the tortured ropes. With a single stroke, the rope parted. Flabagon and Frito fell backwards into a heap, and the cauldron catapulted forward right towards the goblin king. Gambo began to jump up and down excitedly as he watched the projectile arc towards the massing foe. Yeah! he yelled. Go for it, my beauty. That's the way. The best hot pot ever, and I hope it chokes you. The Goblin King, Grom the Paunch of the Misty Mountain, infamous old goblin warlord and lord of the crags, was suddenly and unexpectedly struck by what could have been a big rock were it not for the sploshy red stuff that exploded from it, showering the goblin horde. Goblins screamed where the boiling stuff touched them. Their skin peeled away and shriveled while tears of agony rolled from their little red eyes. Grom, having overcome his initial surprise, howled with pain and anger before he was overcome by the fumes. The wolves yelped uncontrollably, throwing their riders into the mass before scampering off back to the hills, their tails tucked firmly between their legs. A troll stepped unwittingly into a steaming puddle and immediately began to dissolve. At that moment, the Empire army, hastily drawing its ranks, thundered into battle, and the remaining horde was swept aside by charging Reichsguard knights. The Empire had been saved. The Emperor found Gambo Hartstock sobbing despondently into his apron, an empty bottle of Mootland malt in one hand, and a gore-splattered cleaver dangling limply from the other. Gesturing his captains aside, he grasped the little halfling cook by his shoulder and gently shook him. Master Cook, he said, I don't know what it was in that flame pot of yours, but it undoubtedly saved the day, and many noble lives. Tell us the recipe, and I'll have the Imperial Engineers build a weapon that will destroy the goblin hordes forever. Gambo looked up into the sturdy face of his ruler, and his eyes suddenly cleared. Sire, he exclaimed, I cannot tell you. 
it would be a betrayal of every sacred vow in the cookbook. The emperor, to his credit, did not press the point, but presented Gambo with a bag of gold for his part in the battle and quietly departed. Over the years, Gambo became quite famous and found himself dragged from battle to battle and expected to launch his now famous halfling hot pot into the enemy ranks. It never again had quite the effect it did on that day when Grom the Paunch of Misty Mountain was driven from the field. And in truth, Gambo couldn't quite remember the recipe to his dying day. Nonetheless, the hot pot did much to boost the prestige of halfling regiments and taught the goblins a lesson it would be hard for them to forget. If that's not one of the best stories in any army books, I will eat my hat. I love that story. It's tremendously fun. It's tremendously silly. And it's indicative of the Hero Hammer era, the early to mid 90s era of Games Workshop. It's my favorite halfling story, I think, of all time by a wide margin. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode. This has been a fun little one to put together. And we are going to be back in likely two weeks with our new schedule. And we'll be looking at releasing every second Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening. And I guess my usual sign-off doesn't work anymore since we're not going to be weekly. But still, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the War Games Orchard. If you enjoy the show, why not join us on Patreon? There you'll gain access to all of our bonus content for any level of donation. It's a great way to help us keep going and enjoy extra Orchard content. If Patreon's not your thing, please consider giving us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and sharing this show with friends. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard and The War Games Orchard, or by email at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. <laughs>